X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon. It's Thursday, April 8th. Today, back in the day on April 8th, 1820, the Venus de Milo statue was first discovered. The statue was found buried among ancient ruins on the Greek island of Milos. A man named Yorgos Kentrotas is credited with the discovery. When he found the statue, it was split into two large pieces. The Venus de Milo was also found without arms, though historians believe the original statue was hand-spinning. Shortly after the discovery, the statue was moved to the Louvre. It gained global popularity several years later following a series of campaigns led by the French to promote national pride. The Venus de Milo is now considered to be the most famous Venus statue in the world. And today, back in the day on April 8, 1977, the Portland Trailblazers began a legendary sellout streak. The streak began when a sold-out crowd watched the Blazers beat the Phoenix Suns by 11 points. The final score of that game was 122-111. to It was the second-to-last game of the regular season. That year, the Trailblazers went on to win their only NBA championship to date. The fans continued to come out to their games in droves. The sellout streak continued for 18 years and is the longest streak in American professional sport history. It finally ended on November 20, 1995, during a game against the Los Angeles Lakers. The Trailblazers won that game by a single point. On today's show, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview on Oregon House Bill 2367, also known as the Right to Rest Act. X-ray. But first up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. The Portland Police Chief will use officers from other teams to fill an anti-gun violence task force. Police Chief Chuck Lavelle has specified he moved officers from patrol as well as domestic violence and human trafficking investigations to fill the task force. The shift came after the city council approved bringing back a police team to combat gun violence, but offered PPD no additional money for it. In response, Lavelle said he is unsure how the bureau will pay them. The team, referred to as the Focused Intervention Team, or FIT, is designed to address gun violence. According to the Bureau, FIT, or FIT, will use police intel and information about police involved in recent shootings to, quote, interrupt the cycle of violence. The task force is likely to face considerable scrutiny. Portland law enforcement was criticized last year for a similar program they created called the Gun Violence Reduction Team. The Gun Violence Reduction Team was later removed amid reports of officers disproportionately focusing their efforts on people of color. Lavelle responded to the potential criticism the Bureau may face in an interview with Oregon Live. He said, quote, This is highly scrutinized, dangerous work. We've had different efforts to combat this before that were met with scrutiny. There are a lot of great people who did a lot of really good work, got guns off the streets, had good relationships with people, and the work was criticized. FIT will take between 30 to 45 days to set up. An oversight committee, which will supervise the team and set parameters for them, has yet to be determined, according to Mayor Wheeler's office. And now it's time for your daily dose of data 
On Wednesday, the OHA reported an increase in COVID-related deaths and hospitalizations. There were 13 more hospitalizations this week than last week. There are currently 150 people who are hospitalized for COVID. The OHA also reported nine more deaths this week than last week. As of today, there were 19 COVID-related deaths this week. Governor Kate Brown responded to the increase in cases by moving 14 counties to the high-risk category, while Oregonians can celebrate the fact that currently no counties are in the extreme-risk category, there are six counties that were moved from moderate risk to high risk. This includes Multnomah County. Governor Brown urged Oregonians to avoid becoming desensitized to the pandemic. In an announcement on Tuesday, she said, quote, We are at a critical moment in this pandemic as we face more contagious variants of COVID-19 taking hold in our communities. Now more than ever, it's imperative that we all continue wearing masks, maintaining physical distance, stay home when you're sick, and get the vaccine when it's available to you. One year after mass layoffs, Powell's Books is hiring again, but their old staff members will have to reapply. Powell's CEO, Patrick Bassett, announced in an open letter that they failed to reach an agreement with the union around rehires. Bassett wrote, quote, Our most recent proposal would have temporarily extended former employees' access to the recall process for a period of six months, as well as reinstate their previous paid time off accrual rate, which would be significant for, for longer-term former employees. Unfortunately, the union did not accept this offer. This means the original contract language regarding loss of all seniority and employment rights applies, and we will begin to advertise job openings. The union said they were surprised to hear this as they had responded with a counterproposal. International Longshore and Warehouse Union 5 released a statement regarding this. They said, quote, We are appalled at Powell's decision to eliminate the recall list force laid-off employees to apply for their former jobs. This action comes nearly a year after the union and company had reached mutual agreement in writing that the recall list would be maintained without timeline restrictions. Bassett has still encouraged former employees to reapply. Lawmakers in the Oregon House of Representatives have passed two priority housing bills. On Tuesday, lawmakers approved an extension on the ongoing eviction and foreclosure moratorium and a bill which expedites the siting of shelters. House Bill 2009 allows the governor to extend the moratorium in 90-day increments until the end of the year. The bill will now move on to the Senate. Representative Julie Fahey said, quote, By advancing this residential foreclosure moratorium, we're avoiding the mistakes of the Great Recession that caused generational harm for families. And we're keeping Oregonians in their homes during the worst public health crisis of our lifetime. House Bill 2006 allows local governments to waive design, planning, and zoning regulations to allow for emergency shelters. Those shelters do still need to be compliant with building and safety regulations. The Emergency Siting Authority will expire on July 1, 2022. This bill is also on its way to the Senate. Oregon will reduce standardized testing in schools this year. On Tuesday, the U.S. Department of Education approved Oregon's request to waive some standardized testing. The Oregon Education Department had originally requested to do away with all standardized testing for the year. 
That proposal was rejected by federal officials. Instead, students in grades 3 through 8 will be tested in only a couple of subjects. The director of Oregon's Department of Education, Colt Gill, expressed that it may be difficult for school districts to create safe and secure testing environments as learning conditions shift during the pandemic. The State Department collected public comment on the proposed waiver, which was largely supportive of the change. The tests that will still happen will only be offered on physical school campuses. Families of students who are doing completely distanced learning may opt out of testing. And finally, some good news. The Ape Caves in Mount St. Helens will reopen to the public in May. The Ape Caves, which offer visitors a peek into 2.5-mile-long lava tubes, will be accessible through a ticketing system to stagger guests. The attraction has been closed to visitors since last spring due to the pandemic. Reservations to visit will be available from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. daily in two-hour increments. The Ape Caves are the continent's third largest lava tubes. They host a temperature of 42 degrees year-round. Visitors access the cave's trails by a stairwell, which lowers you underneath the Gifford Pinchot National Forest terrain. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Up next, we'll listen to Ambush and Morgan's interview with three organizers regarding House Bill 2367, also known as the Right to Rest Act. The bill is scheduled for a public hearing and work session on April 13th. This is DJ Ambush here with Morgan Jones. Uh, House Bill 2367, known as the Right to Rest Act, aims to move Oregon closer to closer to decriminalizing homelessness. The bill is designed to protect unhoused people from facing harassment for, quote, crimes of survival. Here today to discuss the Right to Arrest Act are Benjamin Donlan, a member of Stop the Sweeps, PDX, and the Western Regional Advocacy Project, a.k.a. RAP. Derek DeForest, a member of the Housing Justice Alliance in Medford, and Eli Brown, an organizer with the Eugene branches of Stop the Sweeps and the Housing and Justice Decriminalize, Decriminalize Homelessness Alliance. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 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 Thanks for having us. Oh, thanks for joining us. Uh, can you tell us, can you go into more detail on how the Right to Rest Act protects our homeless community? Anyone? Sure, I'll kick us off. Um, the Right to Rest Act is, I think, a very important tool that can be used uh, very specifically by taking a lot of these laws that criminalize homelessness off the books. You know, we there's literally hundreds of laws that the ACLU has documented here in Oregon that uh, make living outdoors really difficult. You know, like sit-lie laws, uh, aggressive panhandling laws, just panhandling laws, um, camping, anti-camping ordinances and things of that nature, also camping in your car, mm. and uh, even the sharing of food within parks is starting to be criminalized out here as well. So what this bill does is really help stop the enforcement of these laws and ask for the state to protect the rights of people. Can you can you explain to me what you mean by sharing food in parks is becoming a problem? Yeah, sure. Um, a good example was a few years back down in Tampa, Florida. There was a, a lot of activity because a pastor was arrested something like 15 times. He was in his, I think he was 90 years old. Uh, for simply giving people food in parks or food not bombs. 
Um, but more locally, if we look at um, Nick Fish's, uh, the late commissioner Nick Fish's last act was to partner with Travel Portland in order to make it so that uh, different groups had to pay money uh, and buy pretty steep permit fees in order to to get people food and parks in, in downtown Portland now. Um, and if you don't, then you're you're liable for citation and arrest. I and then he died. I'm I'm pretty speechless there. Yeah. Uh, so we needed to pay a fee to give food to the houseless, and that fee only goes to. <laughs> only what? Only if you're caught. Only if you're caught. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, so crimes of survival. What, what? What? How are? How was that defined? What are we talking about here? We're talking about crimes of survival. I mean, I have an idea, but I I, I want to defer to the experts here. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of different kinds of crimes that they do. Uh, that that they consider, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, good examples. Um, you know, uh, panhandling and and. Uh, public defecation is another one. Uh, unfortunately, everybody has to use the bathroom every day, just about. That's and, how our uh, bodies work. Yep. Yeah, uh, and everybody sleeps. Uh, everybody has to sleep. If they don't sleep. They tend to kind of lose it. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lose it without sleep. Right. Um, and so there's definitely a lot of laws that are created around these acts of necessity, these acts of survival. Which, yeah. you know, they, some of the rhetoric is that both the rich and the poor um, are criminalized for sleeping under bridges, but <laughs> I don't think the rich are, <laughs> are doing that. Wow. I'll, I can add there, you know, today in Medford, there will be a city council vote on an update to the prohibited camping, lying, and sleeping ordinance. Um, that would uh, make it punishable up to 30 days in jail and a $500 fine for not only living in a tent, um, but also for lying down or sleeping in various public spaces. And so that includes near railroad tracks, um, in different fields, you know. So, I mean, that's literally about survival, right? Like people people on the streets say we're not camping we're surviving right. you know what's this right. notion there's we're not we're not roasting marshmallows right. you know um people are being criminalized for surviving and here you know in in jackson county we lost over two thousand homes during the alameda and Obachain fires mm. you know and people who weren't on a lease for whatever number of reasons they don't get fema money you know not to mention that even the people who do qualify for FEMA, there's still right. a lot of folks that don't get that support. So literally in the pandemic, you know, all these things that happen to where somebody might end up on the streets at some point, it just happens, right? But then to be able to spend 30 days in jail for lying down, you didn't even sleep yet. You didn't even get to fall asleep yet and they come and arrest you, you know? That's, that's a crime. That's making survival into a crime. Yeah. I'm really and they, <laughs> Oh, please. And the, they call these laws um, quality of life laws. And the question is like, oh. whose quality of life are they protecting? Right. Yeah. And, um, and 
in Eugene, there's literally no square inch where unhoused folks are allowed, legally allowed to exist because the park system, the park system is basically every green space and that is prohibits camping and, um, and loitering and just, I mean, you can basically cops can harass folks and ban people from parks. Um, and then other, every other public space, there's a prohibited camping ordinance. And so right now, some folks are being allowed to stay, but um, all these um, different encampments have been corralled into two different locations. And there's signs saying that they're not allowed to be there. And so they have no, I mean, basically they could be evicted and, and, um, and displaced. And this is just a repetition further. of, yeah, further, but this is just a continuation of the discriminatory laws and you know the system the discriminatory system that we have in place and basically we can't end discriminatory policing if we don't end discriminatory if we don't take these discriminatory laws off the books right. that um, our cities are using to criminalize homelessness certainly uh, and and this may seem like a question I'm just throwing out that obviously no one you know would have an answer to but uh, so what what is the game plan supposed to be? Uh, we make it illegal for a houseless population to exist, and then what? Where are they expecting these citizens to go? Just constantly just roam in in <laughs> from you know uh, uh, location location, just walking around, not sleeping, not eat. Like I don't, I don't understand any of this. It makes no sense. I mean, criminalization does not solve homelessness. It's been proven over and over and over again, and it, it just perpetuates the problems of homelessness. And, um, and I mean, housing is the only thing that solves homelessness. And before you can solve homelessness, you have to stop criminalizing it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the answer, I think, varies, too. It depends on how dark you want to go, DJ Ambush, you know. <laughs> um, I I think everyone that supports criminalization absolutely knows it it does nothing to solve the problem to make it worse Um, poverty in my opinion is very intentionally created um, especially in black communities where a lot of people have been pushed to the streets over the last 30 years through things like urban renewal zones for example and uh, redlining things of that nature and then they created a system of criminalizing people who are on the streets who incidentally are overrepresented by the black population you know to be sent to prisons to jail and to be continually faced with the judicial system right um now though there's entire mechanisms being set up around sort of the nonprofit mental health complex and and services that are very much tied in with business alliances and mm business groups that are also tied in with criminalization, right? They mm-hmm. they create a, a sort of a profit pattern for the fallout of their own decisions over the last 30 years. And it's a really difficult topic to go into about how intentional um, things are and how, how dark things get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks like from a 360 degree angle around homelessness, there is profit to be made and exploitation of capital to be had. And, um, it's it's a rather big trap. So then, better to do that than to fix the problem. Like, that's <laughs> just, yeah, just stay. what's so interesting. 
from a cost perspective, it's actually cheaper to provide housing right. than it is to criminals. Um, yeah, it makes no sense. If you're looking at it from a capitalistic perspective, it just really is these, these folks um, want them out of sight and the quickest way to get them out of sight is to make it illegal for them to be there. And then tell them to use their bootstraps to get up and Always fix that. it. Always <laughs> that. Yeah. Can, you guys, yeah. uh, can you tell us what the right to rest does not include? Um, sure. I mean, um, I think a, a big part of the detractors would say that this would lead to a rise in criminal behavior, um, uh, to people using drugs, sharing drugs, to people defecating in the middle of the park or whatever. Um, but this doesn't protect those kinds of, you know, quote unquote criminal activities. Um, this really mostly protects people's right to be in a time, space, and, and manner. Um, very similar to the protections given in previous legislations around uh, like the Jim Crow laws and Bolsonaro laws and ugly laws, which prohibited different types of minorities or people with disabilities and, and congregating outdoors during the day and things like that. Um, but, you know, this, this isn't going to allow people to form gangs and start running drugs through the streets and take right. over the zoo and, you know, camp in the middle of City Hall, like it's being said. Yeah, Although so you're not... Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't permit folks to, like, block sidewalks or um, it doesn't give anyone special rights over all citizens. It's, it doesn't infringe on anyone's property rights. It's really just about protecting unhoused folks right to move freely rest and sleep in public spaces and it protects the right to occupy a legally parked vehicle which is a problem in eugene and i'm sure a lot of other places um folks homes are being impounded by the city um and incited for illegal storage and it's like when the when people know that these their people are living in these things and they're not just storing their vehicle on the street right how does how does that work uh, are they going to the people that are asleep in their car and ticketing them ticketing them there or waiting until they're gone oh um, it's both but yeah y'all can answer i mean yeah i was gonna say both uh Neighbors get really sneaky about it. They wait until people leave their cars and then oh. they they call them in. Uh. Wow. And they part. I mean, a lot of times you can't. You these folks have to get a tow to move because and it just is. Uh, yeah, and they just ticket them over and over again, and then it multiplies. And this is one of the ways where you know they get debt, and right. that is actually. A, um, a barrier to housing mm -hmm. because it affects your credit record. And same thing with the criminal record. I mean, if you are on private property um, and you get a criminal trespass ticket, that that impacts your ability to get housing. Mm. That's right. In 2017, a previous version of this bill was sponsored, but it was met with criticism from some house or, uh, Portlanders and died fairly quickly. Why do you think the response to the Right to Rest Act will be different now than it was four years ago? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> and uh, I don't 
think I do think it will be very different, unfortunately. Um, I'm also very cynical, so maybe <laughs> maybe I should answer that. Yeah. Fist bump, fist bump. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be different because I think it'll be different because um, a lot of people are closer to homelessness than they ever have mm. been because of the pandemic and the economic crises. Oh. A lot, uh, a lot of people. Um, I mean, Eugene has the highest um, per capita rate of homelessness in the country, ahead of wow. Alabama, um, compared to population. And um, we, uh, yeah, and we are seeing new people on the streets all the time as a result of the pandemic and the wildfires. And it, and because of the pandemic and the like slightly decreased enforcement of these laws, um, which is really totally arbitrary and discriminatory, um, it's more in people's, you know, people see it. People, um, it's not like, it's it just, people understand that it's a, a problem that needs to be dealt with. And I think that there's a lot of folks, housed folks that are, I mean, the public support is increasing for this bill. I mean, this is, a, they call this bill, the bill that can't be killed because of the overwhelming amount of um, public support for the bill. So I think even if it doesn't pass that the public support of the bill has increased and will continue to increase. So I've I've got a, a lot of questions, but I'm going to try and stick with. Um, recently, there has been a collective push for Oregonians to foster more community-oriented and less punitive approaches to engaging with each other. Um, can you guys speak to what that community looks like to you? I can say, I mean, I think one thing that it's important to name is that a lot of unhoused folks live in community, right? There are these existing communities that are autonomous, they regulate themselves, they have ways of dealing with conflict, they clean their own trash, they have, have you know, ways that they want to live in community. And I think one of the one of the ways that I've really come to understand whether it's systemic oppression or the way that this displacement and harassment of unhoused folks specifically works is it's attacking and destroying people's self-organized communities mm. right so people are constantly unhoused folks are constantly creating and building community but then every time they're woken up in the middle of the night and told you know have their name run and da -da 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 -da, they're being terrorized right the, the message is do not organize do not sleep do not sit down do not get together about what you want right so i think when we think about what does community look like it's like actually community exists all mm. of these solutions exist you know there are there are unhoused folks this week in Ashland, in Medford, you know, I'm sure all over the state, cleaning up their own trash, right? They're, they're, you can go right. and I can go and take you to, you know, camps where there's all these trash bags lined around here. You know, we have friends at Building a Better Future, one of the groups down here that's Indigenous-led that's been, you know, bringing, tra bringing trash bags and all these people filling them up and taking videos of them. And, um, so supporting that, I think this is like what, you know, Benjamin was saying around sweeps defense too it's like there's an abundance of community-led initiatives going on in unhoused communities it's how can we support those how can we meet those and respond to those and encourage those i think is the is the, is where we start and end man 
<sighs> yeah. <laughs> thank you guys so much. Uh, Benjamin, Eli, and Derek, thank you for taking time out this morning to speak to us about the Right to Rest Act. Uh, man, put a lot put a lot in their plate. Definitely did. How yeah. do they how how do listeners uh, learn more? Just really quick. I know we have no time, but uh, there's more information on the Western Regional Advocacy Projects website. Um, also, raphome.org. Um, that's W-R-A-P home.org. There's a lot of good information on there. You can submit testimony in support of um, the bill, and you can figure out how to do that at RAP's website. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you Thank all so much. Thank you guys so, so much. much. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for having us. Thanks to Benjamin, Derek, and Eli for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. We appreciate you subscribing and sharing the news about our work on The Local. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.